Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes and open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for just loving us like you do. We thank you for just um, opening up our eyes and our hearts to your word. And I know for me, I was so blessed by just really digging deep into the study, Lord. And I just pray that you bless the ladies, too, um, this week. And um, I'm so excited to see them get into their small groups and be able to share that which you have imparted to their hearts, Lord. And we just bless you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so um, we'll begin with a, just a brief in, um, introduction to the story. Okay, the story of Joseph is not um, only a lengthy one. I think you guys found that, what, 12 chapters? <laughs> it's pretty lengthy. Um, it's also multi-layered. Um, and I'll do my best to touch on the main points of each chapter with God's help and your prayers. Um, I'll cover all of chapter 37, but we'll only be summarizing the remaining chapters because um, I trust that you've done your homework and you're plenty familiar with the story. All righty, the story of Joseph, as I've already pointed out, has multi-layers, and it can be read as a dramatic piece of literature, fascinating story involving a doting father, a highly pampered son, ten extremely jealous brothers, a conniving wife, and an international food crisis. You dig a little deeper, you'll find a story full of profound theological implications, where the hand of God is evident in every scene, ruling and overruling man's decisions, and in the end, he builds a hero, he saves a family, and he creates a nation that will be blessed, and it will bless the entire world. Um, behind the story, we find the heart of the covenant-making God, who always keeps his promises. Um, and Joseph, in the third layer, he's a um, type of Christ, um, as he um, was beloved by his father, he was obedient to his will. He was hated and rejected by his own brethren, and he was sold as a slave. He was falsely accused. He was unjustly punished. And in the end, he was elevated from a position of suffering servant to mighty ruler, from, uh, ruling from a powerful throne by which he saved his people from death. Um, I did something um, that was really fun. I went on the Internet, and um, my professor in one of my classes, told me that there were over a hundred parallels to the story of Joseph, between Joseph's life and Jesus Christ's life. So I went on. I didn't quite find that many. <laughs> I found like 68. But, you know, in reading through the story, I had never seen that before. So I challenge you, you know, if you haven't done it already, you know, take the time to take a look for yourselves, um, and you'll see, you know, that thread of redemption just running right through it. So I think you'll be really blessed. Um, the one major difference between the two is that Joseph was only reported as dead while Jesus Christ actually gave his life on the cross. And he was raised from the dead in order to save us from sin and its consequences. Looking over the story of Joseph, we will see the destructive dynamics of a family that knew the true and living God, yet sinned against him in, in their speech and in their actions. We will also, um, it will also become clear that Joseph's presence in the home didn't create problems. It actually revealed them. And that's probably why you'll see the brothers getting so angry with their brother Joseph. All right, so um, those, of us that, or those of you that want to follow along, we're going to go ahead and start. Um, and you can open up your Bibles to Genesis 37. We're going to be starting in verse 1. 
Okay, so Joseph settled in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his brothers, the sons of his father's wives, um, and they were concubines. They weren't actually of first wives. Um, they had been maid servants um, to the first wives. Um, and their names were Bilha and Zilpah. Um, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Verse 3, Jacob loved, his, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't even say a kind word to him. Um, now, all of you mothers out there, <laughs> I'm sure you can probably relate to some of this in one degree or another. And um, we all know what a happy day it is when there's peace in the home and all who dwell there um, do so in unity and harmony. But those days seem to be far, few and far between. But thankfully, they do happen. <laughs> and apparently, this is not the case of Jacob's home. Jacob's family didn't enjoy the blessings of unity because from the start, his home was divided. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel. They were sisters and they were rivals and they competed for Jacob's attention. Add to the mix two concubines, which help add to the tension in the home and finish it with 12 brothers, 10 of which have jealousy issues. (laughs) Okay, and um, Joseph worked for his brothers learning the family business. I guess you could call him a sort of shepherd's apprentice. Um, uh, No one knew it at the time, but Joseph was destined for greater things, and yet he got his start as a servant. It wasn't easy for Joseph to work with his brothers, and Jacob didn't make it any easier. By asking his young son to check on his brothers and report back any news, It was kind of like putting Joseph in an overseeing position over his brothers and asking for a report of them was like asking him to spy on them. And no one likes a tattletale. Joseph should have had more sense than to single out Joseph and to pamper him, but I guess he just couldn't help himself. After all, Joseph was the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. However, it still wasn't the wisest way to run the home. Jacob continues to add fuel to the fire by his actions. Not only does he show open favoritism toward Joseph, he has a special coat made for him. The average well-dressed shepherd would normally wear a plain-colored garment made of sturdy and expensive fabric. It would be cut into a rectangular shape. A hole would be cut out of the middle. It would be placed up and over the head and draped about the shoulders and then tied at the waist with a rope or a belt. Um, it would generally reach to about the knees, and it was sleeveless. Um, <clears throat> the garment was a working garment. Um, it was used to warm yourself. It was used also um, to bundle up your belongings as you were ready to leave on a trip. You could use it to sit on, and it was also used as a security for a loan. In contrast, Joseph wrote, Joseph's robe was oh here we go (laughs) all right let's start again in contrast 
Joseph's robe was special. It was specially ordered, and um, it's described as being ankle length with long sleeves. Uh, most likely, it was made of an expensive fabric. It was ornate, and it was beautiful. Um, one might even say that it was a robe fit for a king. Um, Jacob probably presented this very special robe to Joseph as a sign that he was esteemed above his brothers. The robe signified Joseph as being Jacob's choice as the future head of the clan, an honor usually bestowed upon the firstborn. Why would Joseph do such a thing, one might ask? Well, Reuben was the actual firstborn, but he forfeited his right when he sinned with Bilhah in Genesis 35:22, And his next son, Simeon, had involved, was involved with Levi in slaughtering the men at Shechem. And furthermore, Jacob's first four sons had been born to Leah, whom he had never intended to marry. And he, not, he had um, been tricked by his uncle Laban, and now, who is now his father-in-law. And taking, or, taking all of this into consideration, Jacob may have reasoned in his mind that um, in God's sight, Rachel was his first wife and Joseph was her firstborn. So therefore, Joseph had the right to be treated as the firstborn. Right or wrong, Jacob's heart and mind were made up. Joseph was um, his choice, and it further infuriated his sons to the point of hatred and contempt for poor Joseph. Alrighty, let's look at verse 5, and we're going to read from verse 5 to 11. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field... tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? They hated him all the more because of his dream and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed before me. This time, he told his dream to his father as well, as his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Um, now I uh, copied a quote out of one of the commentaries because I thought it was so fitting. Um, it says here that the author of 14th century preacher, preacher's manual wrote that envy was the most precious daughter to the devil because he follows his, his footsteps by hindering good and promoting evil. The author might have added that Envy was a sister and had a sister named Alice, and the two usually work together. Because envy causes inward pain when we see others succeed, and malice produces inward satisfaction when we see others fail. And they work hand in hand, and they are a very potent duo. <laughs> now, Joseph's brothers were so jealous of him, he seemed to have it all. Their father's love and attention, a robe, <clears throat> that was a constant reminder of his position in the family, and now these dreams. If envy causes inner pain, then brothers, then these brothers were in for a world of hurt, and dysfunction was their middle name. 
these family dynamics in Joseph's home were the beginning of his training for the future. God's hand was on Joseph, and these dreams show it. Alrighty, let's go ahead and look at verse 12. We're going to read through to verse 17. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to go to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see your brothers and the flocks and how they're getting along. Jacob said, then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him as his, on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are, pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man said, or told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, Let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Now Jacob sent Joseph to spy on his brothers. I'm thinking probably because the area of Shechem was a danger to his family. They had had a bad reputation among its citizens. And Jacob may have been concerned about their welfare. Because if you remember reading back, um, as we look back, that... um, there was a problem within the family, and one of the sisters um, was um, assaulted, I guess. And so the brothers took vengeance on these men, and they killed them. So um, in those days, and maybe today too even, grudges run deep. So we can see why Jacob was concerned that they were in that area. Why did the brothers feel the need to pasture so far from home? Surely there was green grass closer to home. Perhaps the brothers didn't want Joseph spying and tattling on them. It's, interest, it's just interesting to me, too, that Jacob, knowing full well that his brother, how his brothers felt about him, um, or Jacob, knowing how the brothers felt about Joseph, um, still sent Joseph alone to an area potentially dangerous to the family and in the very garment that aggravated his brothers, so much so that they hated him. Um, could it be the providential hand of God working? to accomplish his divine purpose. Scripture says, and I quote, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Psalm 105, 7. And God ordained that Joseph would go to Egypt. And this was the way he accomplished it. Um, Now let's go to verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance as he approached Um, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Does everyone know what a cistern is? Okay, good deal. (laughs) He's so funny, Leanne. So everyone knows? Good. Well, we'll just continue then. Uh, We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then... um, We'll see what happens to to his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness, and he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. 
So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, and then they grabbed him and threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Now it took Joseph about three days to get from Hebron to Shechem, and then it was like another day's journey to Dothan. When the brothers spotted Joseph, mind you, he wasn't that hard to miss, wearing that colorful coat and all. Um, so they spot him, and um, they begin to hatch their plan to kill their brother. Hatred and envy are lethal emotions that simmer in the heart and wait for a spark that ignites the explosion to massive destruction. The brothers had been waiting for the opportunity to act on the wicked desires of their blackened hearts. Joseph's dream, Joseph's dream got him into trouble, and years later, it was others' dreams that got him out of trouble. And um, there's also another little piece of scripture I came across that was very appropriate, and it goes like this. Oh, how, God, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Romans 11.33 It must have given Joseph's brothers great pleasure to strip him of his special robe, the one that they hated so much, and to, to throw him down into the empty cistern. But probably it felt like ridding themselves of Joseph, it probably felt to them like ridding themselves of Joseph would solve all of their problems. But we can see that it doesn't. Consequences have a way of catching up to us. Alrighty, verse 25. Then, let's, then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and Aramaic resin, resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah um, said to his brothers, What will be gained by killing our brother? We'd, we'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midian traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And fast forward to New Testament, um, that's the exact amount that Jesus was sold for by Judas. Another parallel. Um, I find it quite difficult to understand how Joseph's brothers could sit down and calmly eat a meal when their brother was suffering and loudly begging for to be set free. I mean, were they deaf? Were they just so callous they didn't care? Maybe their hearts had been hardened um, with hatred and the thoughts of murder. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, says the word in Jeremiah 17.9. The brothers felt that selling their brother to these merchant traders was their ticket to freedom. The dreamer was gone, and so were the troubles. So they thought. They forgot the real important thing, that God was watching and was still in control. God had his divine purpose to fulfill. All righty, verse 29. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. 
when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone, what will we do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph was clear, has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrive in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. Now, Reuben was elsewhere when his brothers sold Joseph. So you can imagine his shock at finding the cistern empty. And when his brothers confess what they did, Reuben tears his clothes like a man in mourning, which I'm sure perplexed his brothers. I'm sure they were thinking, don't you hate him as much as we do? As scripture says, he who covers his sin will not prosper. Proverbs 28:13. God's law is unchanging, but people still feel that they can defy it and escape the consequences. We find that true even today. In order for Jacob's son to cover up their dirty deeds, they would have to lie. We all know one lie leads to another and then another till you're so tangled up you're trapped. Jacob was left to draw his own conclusion as to what had happened to his son Joseph. As tragic and treacherous as this um, deception was, Jacob was only reaping what he himself had sown. Years earlier, he had killed a goat to deceive his father, and now his sons were doing the same. God brought Joseph safely to Egypt and made sure he was sold to Potiphar. God was with Joseph, and he prospered. Alrighty, now we're going to kind of fast, fast, fast go through this. I don't want to run over our time limit, so go ahead and turn to Genesis 39. If you're not there already, I'm just going to summarize it real quick and then give you some of the, the main points. Um, Joseph makes it safely to Egypt. He is sold to Potiphar and placed in his home to work as a houseboy. It doesn't take long for Potiphar to notice Joseph's excellent work ethic. He soon gives Joseph full run of his house. God blesses Joseph and grants him success in all that he does, and Potiphar's house prospers. Enter in the dreaded monkey wrench, Potiphar's wife. She takes notice of Joseph as well, but not for his work ethic. It's for his looks. (laughs) And boy, is she relentless. Um, She tries to seduce Joseph to no avail, and soon she tires of the cat and mouse game. She, you know, as a scorned woman, is a dangerous woman. And in Joseph's case, she she accuses him um, of attempted rape, and Potiphar puts him in prison. At uh, home in Hebron, Joseph was considered a troublemaker by his brothers, but in Egypt, he is a source of blessing, and we're about to see this. 
and it's because God's hand is on him. Joseph trusted God and made the best out of his difficult situation. Joseph's faithful service to Potiphar wasn't only a blessing to his household. Joseph was also blessed by it. Had Joseph stayed home with his father, he may not have developed the kind of character that can only come from hard work and obedience. Potiphar's wife treated um, Joseph like a thing instead of a person. It must have been so humiliating for Joseph. But Joseph never gave in to temptation. (laughs) Even though he ended up in prison, he left Potiphar's house with his dignity and his integrity. All righty. Now we're going to kind of combine these two chapters, 40 and 41. While in prison, Joseph meets the king, uh, king's cupbearer and his chief, chief baker. They have each experienced bad dreams. Joseph asks to hear their dreams because with God's help, he can interpret them. He does interpret them correctly. The cupbearer is restored to his position and the chief baker is put to death. When the cupbearer is released from prison, Jacob asks him to put a good word in for him with Pharaoh. Um, <clears throat> And while there, Joseph is put in charge of, um, of Egypt. That's kind of like the end of 41. Um, it, it had been two long years since the cupbearer left prison. And um, Joseph was still waiting for something to happen. But when God acts, events move quickly. Pharaoh has two dreams and his magicians can't interpret them. Um, God most likely blocked their ability to interpret. God nudged the cupbearer's memory, and he told Pharaoh about Joseph's unique gift. Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Joseph interprets the dreams and gives God the credit for it. I love that. Sometimes we forget to do that, and we take the credit for ourselves, but Joseph didn't. Mm. Now that Pharaoh knew God's plans, he felt obligated to fulfill them. Um, Joseph takes things a little step further and suggests to Pharaoh to appoint an intelligent and a wise man to oversee the land and its um, harvests and to also give this man a team of managers to help him manage the different areas and to take a fifth of each of the harvests each year for the first seven years of plenty and store them up to prepare for the years of famine. Pharaoh is impressed by Joseph's wisdom that he places him in charge. Joseph's brothers may have stripped him of his special robe, but Pharaoh has given him a better one with greater significance. He has also received Pharaoh's signet ring, a gold chain, his own chariot, a beautiful wife, and all this is to showcase um, the authority Pharaoh has bestowed on him. Now, Genesis 42 and 43. Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to buy food. Once, they, <clears throat> uh, once there, they bow before Joseph. Only they don't realize it because they don't recognize him. Um, and his name had been changed, too. And he could speak Egyptian. Is that a, a language? <laughs> but anyway... Um, you know, they didn't recognize him. He had this new name and everything, and he'd been clean-shaven, and I think they even wore makeup, um, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm sure in these regal robes, he looked much different than what they remember so many years back. And this fulfills, uh, well, they, and they get there, and they bow, they bow down to him, and this fulfills the first dream Joseph had. Joseph um, 
accuses his brothers in this chapter of being spies. And um, they explain themselves to him. Joseph orders them to bring Benjamin, their youngest uh, brother, back with them on the next trip to prove that what they say was true. And Simeon is kept as collateral to ensure they return the brothers' return. And um, let's see. I lost my place. (laughs) Okay, so just to make sure that he returns. Um, The brothers realize the source of this trouble is God. He's punishing them for what they did to Joseph. And the brothers are sent away with food and their money. I mean, even their money was put back in their sacks. And there's a significance to that. Um, And that is that Joseph, being Jacob's son, um, back then they really honored their parents. And so he, in, in good conscience, couldn't take money from his dad. And so um, he had to find a way to secretly give it back. And so that was his way of doing it. Um, so they go back and they tell their father all that had happened to them. Jacob is distressed upon hearing their story. And the famine continues. And it's really funny. They don't go back right away for their brother Simeon, who's been kept in, well, I don't think he's really in a jail cell, but he was kept in holding. And I found this interesting. They waited till they ran out of food <laughs> to go back. <laughs> they were afraid of, of, uh, of Jacob and what he might do to them, I think. Um, so um, then Jacob finally is, um, he's convinced that Benjamin needs to go and his oldest son, Reuben, says, Dad, you know, I'll take care of him, and, and you can kill my kids. You can do what you want with me, but, you know, I'll make sure he gets back. So um, he is sent, and um, when they get there, they're really shocked to find out that they're going to the palace to have lunch with him. So they're shaking in their boots thinking, oh, my gosh, what does that mean? <laughs> and the famine comes, and in and, and two years, Joseph's brothers have to experience Many tests designed by God to bring them to repentance. These tests include hunger, harsh words from Joseph, um, who his name was, <laughs> trying to, to pronounce this, Zephaniah Panea. I hope that's right. <laughs> and uh, was that good? <laughs> ah, thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, and so anyway, when they get there, they're... They're confined. They're, they're um, put like in prison for three days. And you think, well, why would Joseph, or why would, um, yeah, Joseph do that? Well, it was a lesson to them because Joseph had spent so much time in prison because of them. He wanted them to get a little taste of their own medicine. So they were being schooled. <laughs> um, okay, and this all began in them so that God could start dealing with their sin. Joseph needed to see for himself in his brother that his brothers had changed if they treated Benjamin well and if they felt remorse over what they had done so many years before. He was hoping that all these experiences he put them through would bring about confession in order for them to be able to forgive him, for him to be able to forgive them and for there to be reconciliation between them. Alrighty, jump over to 45 and 44 and 45. And this is real quick. <laughs> um, the one last test with a silver cup. 
Benjamin is accused of stealing um, Joseph's silver cup. And um, the punishment usually would be something like death for that. They used that silver cup. Joseph didn't need it because he had word from God. But the silver cup for most leaders was a way to tell the future, foretell the future. And um, so anyway, it was a very important item. And um, But um, instead, um, Joseph told the boys that he was not going to kill their brother, that he was actually just going to um, set them free, but keep Benjamin as a slave. <laughs> so this doesn't go over with the boys very well because they've got to go face daddy, and daddy's not going to be none too happy. And um, so anyway, they... Um, Joseph is testing his brothers to see um, if they are willing to sacrifice their own freedom for Benjamin or would they leave him in Egypt. The brothers pass the test and Joseph reveals himself to them. He declares no hard feelings and explains that it was God who sent him to Egypt in order to save them along with many others. Um, Man, I mean, what an awesome example of how we should forgive, you know. I mean, so many of us, I'm sure, have dealt with difficult family members we can't quite forgive and forget or, you know, people that we work with or whatever. But um, I don't think we'll ever go through all that Joseph did. Um, But, man, you see that he was so willing to just want that to be over with and want to reconcile with his brothers. It was just an awesome example of a loving, uh, godly man. Okay, and then I'm just going to kind of quick one um, sentence, um, sentence sentence here, go through the next uh, chapters up to 50. In chapter 46, Jacob's family moves to Egypt. Um, And even in that, um, they had to go to Egypt. It was God's plan because it was there that he was going to... um, increase their numbers and their strength because if they had been out in the wilderness um, they would have been working really hard and they would have been shepherding and they would have been you know trying to provide for their families and stuff so uh, being that close to Egypt and everything being provided for them um, you know um, and also the Egyptians um, they didn't like shepherds They thought they were kind of smelly, yucky people. And so they didn't want them really living among them. And that was God's plan, too, because um, in living in Goshen, they stayed separate from from the Egyptians. So they didn't intermarry or mix with them. And so their beliefs and their faith in the Lord stayed pure. And in chapter 47, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And in chapter 48... Um, Jacob blesses Manasseh and Ephraim and that trend continues of giving the greater blessing to the younger child than the older Um, you know Joseph had placed his sons before his father um, because he knew he was getting frail and um, what does Joseph do or Jacob do he crosses his hands (laughs) and he puts the greater blessing on the younger son thought that was interesting that it just kept playing out over and over again and um, in chapter 49, Jacob's last words to his son. So um, to some, they were kind of a blessing. I mean, Judah kind of um, was able to gain some more respect and, and thought of a little more highly because, you know, he was, after all, the one who sold Joseph. But he kind of redeemed himself in the end. And so he got a good blessing. But some of those that, um, you know, like Reuben and stuff, um, that had sinned against his father with um, one of his concubines, um, you know, he didn't get a blessing. It was just kind of, you know, um, kind of like, see, what life deals, deals out when you do the wrong thing. 
And then in chapter 50, Jacob dies. Joseph honors his father's request and he returns his body to Canaan where he wants to be buried, their land. And then upon Joseph's death, he, t- or he too, is, his bones are taken back to Canaan. And so they're all together there. And, uh, and that concludes our message today. <laughs> all righty. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and close out in prayer so you can um, rush off to your small groups and have, hopefully have a real blessed time. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word, for your message contained within it, for the message of redemption, Heavenly Father, and just for meeting us right where we are, Lord. I mean, we're a bunch of mess-ups sometimes, but you don't care, Lord. You just keep coming back and saying, don't worry, I've got your back. I'll get you on the right track. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, just bless the ladies today with a wonderful time in their small groups, Lord, and may they be able to have the time to share all that's on their hearts. We thank you, Heavenly Father, and we bless you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.